I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, it's Tuesday the 31st of March. I'm Jules Breach, he's Andy Brassel, and this is Jules and Andy on Football Ramble Daily. As always, we would love to hear from you. So please do get in touch with us both on Twitter at Jules Breach, at Andy Brassel. And of course, you can email us Jules and Andy at footballrambledaily.com. Andy, it is so good to be back. Thank you so much to Kate Mason, who held the fort for me last week while I was struggling on through with the virus. But thankfully, I'm feeling a lot better now. How are you, Andy? I've missed you. Well, it, I've missed you too, and we've all missed you. It's so great to to have you back, Jules, and we're, we're glad you're you're back in the game and and, and sounding chirpy. Yeah, I'm. Do you know what? It's just so nice to feel better because it was really strange how the whole thing kind of unfolded because. Two weeks ago when we recorded Jules and Andy, I wasn't feeling great. And and listening back to it, you can kind of hear how stuffy my nose was and how bunged Mm. up I was and that I was definitely coming down with it then, but I didn't think I was. I just assumed I had a normal cold because I didn't really have coronavirus symptoms. I had just your regular kind of mild cold symptoms. So I was just thinking, oh, maybe I'm just a little bit ill, but I'll be fine. And it was almost immediately after we finished recording, a few hours after, that all of a sudden I was just absolutely exhausted. And then when I went to bed that night and woke up on Wednesday morning, I couldn't even get out of bed. And it just worsened and worsened for the next few days. And the the most difficult thing is that right now I can't say 100% that I had the coronavirus because I haven't been tested, but mm. I've had every single symptom that you can think of that's been out in the news, that's been on the NHS website. So I can assume I've had it, but I can't say 100% that I had it, but it's just absolutely wiped me out. Like I can't even explain. So to right now be sat here well enough to even sit up straight on the sofa at home and be able to have a conversation with you. Um, I've been able to talk to my friends on the phone for the last couple of days again, which has just been so nice to catch up with everyone. So yeah, it is good to be back. So I'm, I'm nothing but cheery now because the last couple of weeks has just been miserable. Well, I think you have to say as well that Jules and Andy is always something that we put everything into. It's an exacting and sometimes exhausting experience. And the minute that me and Kate had finished recording last week, I went to bed for four hours because I felt absolutely exhausted. No. And and you know what? Now that I know that I'm really, I'm like worried about you because I feel like it it almost feels like you're 
probably about to come down with it, but I'm just hoping that you don't get it quite as bad as some people have had it and that you recover quickly. Lots of vitamins and make sure you eat. There was the one thing that I'd say that while I was feeling my worst, even though I didn't have a massive appetite, I still made sure I ate three meals a day and took loads of vitamins because all I kept thinking was, I need to get better. I need to get better. And I would say the hardest part about the whole thing is the unknown and like the mental side of recovery, because unlike any other illness that we know of, you know, your kids get chicken pox, you know what to expect in each stage of that illness, or, you know, you get tonsillitis and, you know, you can get some antibiotics and it will go away within a few days. It's with this coronavirus or whatever it is that I've just had, it was that unknown of what am I meant to feel like tomorrow? Am I meant to be feeling better on day five or am I meant to be feeling worse? And each day, not knowing when I was going to bed, whether the next day was going to be better or not was the hardest thing. And not knowing like what I'm meant to be doing, you know, like how can I make myself better? Like there are everyone's symptoms and everyone's diagnosis that I've read about online has been so different. Like some people have had symptoms for three or four days and then they've been fine again. Some people Mm. have only lost their taste and smell and that's it. And everything else with their body has been absolutely fine. And then other people have had it for two weeks and are still struggling. So it was that unknown of not not knowing when I was going to get better that freaked me out the most and was probably the hardest part to deal with. But as I said, thankfully, one day I woke up and did feel slightly better. So I thought, okay, this has got to be me on the up now. And then that's when it started to get better and better. But I've only just got my taste and smell back in the last couple of days. So just being able to actually taste my food again and and smell my shower gel in the shower, things like that have just been just so weird not to experience. And and you were telling me that your wife has, has had that as well, hasn't she? Yeah, she she has. Um, she's lost taste and, and and smell. We're both watching last night um, our TalkSport pal, um, Andy Goldstein, and his video that I'm sure some of you out there have seen where he's completely lost his taste and smell. So it's him um, chewing a lemon, eating <laughs> a bit of onion like it's an apple, and then having a shot of vinegar before having some... Oh, yuck. Some some more lemon. Yeah, um, yeah. So I, words, it's just texture. It's just texture. It's so weird. And I, I remember when I was when I started to get well enough that I could get back in the kitchen and start cooking again. Because by the way, my other half, bless him, he's tried, but not the best cook. So I finally got back in the kitchen the other day and was chopping an onion, and I couldn't smell it, and I couldn't. You know, you normally get the streamy eyes when you cut an onion, mm, and you're. Yeah. Cr- nothing was happening. And I was like, this is the weirdest thing. Um, but yeah, safe to say that is back now after making dinner last night. So yeah, it's, it's just, it is nice to finally kind of be getting back to normal. I wouldn't say I'm a hundred percent yet, but I'm, I'm nearly there. I'm about, I'm about 90% back to full fitness. Well, um, I really appreciate your uh, guidance and advice as I'm on the road to recovery. Uh, just one thing I want to clarify is Lucas a vitamin. <laughs> I'd say so, yeah. Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. I reckon so. There's enough in there that'll give you give you a bit of energy and I'd say it's a vitamin. It's the same color as Barocca, so yeah, I'd go for yes. <laughs> yeah, that 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 that'll be it, won't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, look, Andy, while I've been away, obviously there has been 
a lot going on. There's been more news developing. And, you know, we I know we've said this several times in the last few weeks. Football isn't the most important thing right now. It's it's not been top of the agenda when me and my friends are catching up, even though we all absolutely love football and it is our life. But right now, all that matters is that everyone gets healthy and we all do our bit to get the nation back on track. But from a journalistic perspective, it has been intriguing to see how things are unfolding bit by bit in the football world. And last week, there was the news that from the third to seventh tiers of the non-league pyramid, their entire seasons would be scrapped and I think will be declared null and void by the FA. Now that includes the Bet Victor Northern Premier League, the Isthmian Leagues and Southern Leagues, plus all of those leagues in the county divisions. And it's fair to say there's been quite a mixed reaction to this, Andy. A lot of non-league clubs mm. wanted the season to end straight away, but it's also not gone down very well with other clubs. So I think today we're asking the question, is it a dangerous precedent that the FA is setting? Do you think the other leagues above them will now follow suit? And what can the non-league clubs whose seasons have ended do now? What are your thoughts, Andy? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, um, you know, we always say that business doesn't like uncertainty. But unfortunately, we're attempting or they're attempting in this situation uh, to provide certainty in a situation where there is none. And I don't think it's been done brilliantly because, as you say, the decision to cancel the season, in effect, has already been taken. But we don't know what's next, whether everything's going to be null and void, as as you suggested, or whether things are going to be worked out, a final table is going to be worked out on average points or something like that. Um, it, we just don't know at the moment. And mm. That's the problem, isn't it? Trying to come up with a definite solution to a problem that we don't know 100% what it is yet. We don't know how long it's going to last. We don't know if there's going to be a second wave, all of that sort of stuff. So that for the moment is discussion is fine, of course. I think football needs to prepare itself as best it can for what's going to come next. But the fact is that we don't know what's coming next. Mm. I think a couple of weeks ago when we were discussing what action the Premier League and the Football League's might take in the coming weeks as this all unfolds. We were both of the same opinion, weren't we, Andy, that we want to see the leagues be finished. And I haven't changed my mind on that. So for me, I feel like regardless of what tier of the pyramid you are in, you should be able to finish your leagues. And I think that as soon as it is safe and healthy to do so, then, then all football leagues should be allowed to finish. I think... Really, I'm, I'm, I'm asking what the rush was. Like, why did they need to make a decision on tiers three to seven of non-league now? Why, why couldn't they just wait to see what the leagues above them did first? And I think that's possibly why there has been quite a lot of unrest about this decision and why a lot of clubs aren't happy. I know that there are more than 60 non-league clubs that have written letters to the FA to contest the decision as they'd prefer the FA to wait just as the National League, the Football League, the Premier League are doing. And mm. until we know more information, like you were saying, Andy, a decision can then be made to complete the season when it's safe to do so. I'm not really sure why they felt that they needed to make a decision now. No, I, I'm not sure I do as well, especially as English football all the way from top to bottom is intrinsically linked. Um, yeah. I, I know um, 
we can say, okay, the Premier League with the level of money involved and <clears throat> for that reason, the, pardon me, overall desire and imperative really more so for um, the season to be concluded is, is, is the greatest. But even the Premier League can't decide unilaterally what it's going to do without the EFL because the two leagues interact. And so for me, it seems weird that say, I don't know, the, the, the National League um, is apart from this decision, mm. but the ones below which do interact with that league have have made this decision. I mean, we've got a sort of um, mail about it. I, I guess it is it, more about the, the the future of the uh, football a, a little bit further up, but it's um, a mail from Todd Graham. And it says, first off, I'd just like to say, I hope Jules is feeling better soon. She is. Thank oh, you. Thanks, Todd. Um, and it says, uh, with the FA having cancelled the season below National League level, and the UEFA president now warning the current season could be lost if it's not finished by June, it seems to me that everyone in football is wanting to be seen engaging in long-term thinking while instead just making short-term decisions. Coronavirus has curtailed the current season, yet everyone talks of next season like it's definitely going to happen, even if no one can say when Exactly. Yeah, Personally, the yeah. idea of starting a new season without finishing the previous one doesn't sit well with me, especially when there's every chance that what derailed the current unfinished season could simply crop up again and derail the new one in identical fashion, which I, I think is a good point. That's a really good point. And I think the key thing here is time. Like he mentions, you know, that I don't really see why there is such a rush to, you know, scrap this season, null and void it or, you know, do things on a points per game system right now. It's it's why not why can't we just wait? There is no rush to start next season. And and he makes some really good points there. It's if we then have the time between now and whenever next season should begin, based on when we can finish this one, everyone will know the rules right from the beginning. Everyone will know it will be potentially a shorter season, a different style season, and everyone will be in the same boat. And that just kind of morally feels better for me that everyone will be in the same system, have the same understanding right from the off rather than trying to finish off this season in some kind of weird way or cancelling it altogether that then has a massive knock-on effect to promotion and relegation from every league just so that we can start next season when we're supposed to. I I don't really Mm. see that that is necessary. Whereas time is key here and we now have the time you know the officials and everyone who's making these decisions will have the time now to make a decision on what the best thing to do is for next season and that can all be put in place once we've figured out when the best time to finish this season is that that seems fair across the board to me to, to me it feels inevitable that next season is is, is going to be affected um but as as we spoke about before, uh, I don't really see why you would write off a 75% complete season in favour of a season that we have no emotional attachment to because it hasn't started yet and, you know, has no sporting implications because it hasn't started yet. Um, if next season has to be... Um, just just one round of fixtures rather than two um if it has to be written off entirely i think either of those things are, are far more um uh far more palatable than the, the idea of of writing off off this season i don't think there should be a, a time limit when we can come back to it i don't think there needs to be a time limit uh when we come back to it 
Um, I, I think it's interesting um, so, some of the um, possibles that we've seen out there. And like I said, there's nothing wrong with football and football governance discussing what the possibles might be, but that's all they are at the moment possibles um there was this really interesting article wasn't there in in the independent by um, miguel delaney our, our friend where um he talked about um the, the plan that was being floated about um a neutral venue in the midlands or a couple of neutral venues in the midlands and it would be residential for the players behind closed doors and that would be a possible way of finishing it off. Now they've basically taken this idea, it seems to me um, from the NBA, because it's something that's been floated there uh, for over a week. The idea that um, to keep everything in the bubble, they would get a resort in Vegas or something like that have all the teams I bet they would (laughs) (laughs) yeah I I don't think Vegas is as much fun without any people but um yeah the the idea is that that they would um complete their regular season games or go straight to the playoffs from from there um again I, I think part of the concerns that uh, affecting the NBA are the concerns that are affecting the Premier League having to give broadcast money back basically mm-hmm. because from a purely sporting perspective I think if you ask most NBA fans if the season was wiped at this point okay it would be a pity but I think they could live with that because it's the playoffs haven't even started so it's it's not that far down the line yet you know yeah. the, the the regular season is is far less significant than it is in football, for example. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just think there's there's no enormous rush. So whereas planning and possibility is, is fine, let's not jump the gun. I agree. Do you know what? I quite like this idea that Miguel spoke about in The Independent. It's something that I hadn't even given any consideration to. I hadn't even thought that this would be a possibility. But actually, I quite like it. You know, if if it comes to a point where we feel like completing the season in the space of two months in June and July is better than playing it out in normal time as would be and potentially finishing it say in September or October if the games were to be played as they would on a schedule as usual then if that can't happen or we think it's better to do it in a you know a kind of quick time frame in the space of two months. I quite like this kind of World Cup style, the, the kind of everyone having their bases in one area or maybe spreading it between London and the Midlands and having all the 92 remaining games televised. It would be an incredible spectacle. And it's it's something that, you know, as football fans, we all can't wait for the football to be back. So imagine if it came back in this way, it would be quite incredible wouldn't it I mean it it would be great in terms of the televised factor the fact that as football fans we want to be able to watch as much football as we can I'm assuming that these games would be behind closed doors so that's something that wouldn't be resolved for the the football fans that would want to go to the matches but these are unprecedented times this is a this is a completely different situation but if it meant getting the season finished and then we can start next season a couple months after that and have the fans back at the games, then I think it's it's quite a good solution personally. And and I, I kind of like the idea. I think it would be quite exciting. I mean, I like the idea of a, a self-contained tournament to 
reintroduce football to the the public and that was talked about wasn't it with reference to the Champions League that they might have a super weekend in Istanbul of like five days where there were the two Champions League semi-finals and and, and a final that was that was speculatively uh thrown up a a, a while ago um my concern would be and it touches on something that Gary Lewin was talking about uh last week would be the mental health of the players. I mean, it's, it's been a difficult time for them. And yes, I understand they're, they're paid a lot of money and there are other people who are out there who are suffering more and stuff. Um, I'm not really convinced the hardship and, 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 and suffering need to be a competition, particularly on a, on a mental health level. Um, I wonder how healthy that is to lock players away for a month and a half or whatever, especially as that they'll need a little pre-season beforehand because they will, won't they? Especially if there's going to be an intense period of games over a short space of, of of time. Because if you go straight back into it and you're not prepared, well, if you go straight back into it and, and you are prepared, and I think Gary Neville, didn't he, at some point suggested that there should be, there could be like five games a week or, or, or whatever, which just seemed like insane to me. Um, I think that is a lot physically to put on the players, but a lot mentally to put on the players to to basically say, okay, to finish this season, you're going to have to lock yourselves away from your friends and your family and just do it until it's it's, it's done. I mean, it, I like the idea of what it would be as a spectacle, but you've yeah. just got to ask what the cost would be, I think. Yeah, I agree. That That's the thing is from a kind of a spectacle point of view and, and the joy of having football back on the telly. It's something that I like the idea of, but that's without taking into consideration all the other effects of it. And also, you know, we're talking about tiers three to seven of non-league being potentially null and void and, and the yeah. decision the FA made last week. How does this help any of the clubs below the Premier League? Because yes, okay, it would be doable to get all of the Premier League games played across those two months in June and July, but what happens to the championship? And then what happens mm. to leagues one and two and the national league and, and, you know, the rest of the football pyramid, it's a solution for the premier league, but is it a solution for the rest of the leagues? And that's why going, going back to the news that we heard last week, it almost feels to me like the FA have set a bit of a precedent. Like, could this be now a domino effect that mm. the National League follows suit and declares their season null and void as well. It 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 just oh it doesn't sit right with me, but I can kind of see it happening, which is the scary part. Yeah, and I, I think when it when it comes to elite level, and I, I agree, we've got to come back to what it what it means outside the top flight in a, in a minute, and we will. Um, I've quite strongly believed all, all, all the way along that there should be like a, a pan-European approach to how things are going to come to an end. I think the interesting thing is in Italy at the moment, for example, there's an increasing um, feeling there that um, the season sh- should just be cancelled uh, and, and it should be null and voided. And the difference there, of course, is the fact that Italy has suffered so much from this pandemic that you struggle to find people out there, whether they be uh, presidents, players, supporters, who actually really give a toss about football at the moment. They just don't think that it's important. And I think there's a growing feeling with um, the the level of loss that they've had that, that they just can't bring themselves to 
to talk about it, to discuss it. And, you know, you look at Atalanta, who've had an unbelievable season, both in Serie A and in um, uh, the Champions League as well. And one of their supporters groups came out last week and said, let's just bin the season, mm-hmm. you know? And they're, on a sporting level, one of the teams that are the least deserving to to lose everything, you know? So I think it's, it's still so early. We don't know where this is going. Like, hopefully, it's not getting a lot worse. You know, I think we all, with all our hearts, really strongly feel that. Um, but but it is still so early. So I think as as well, if if Italy says right, that's it, we're cancelling it. Does that make the other leagues look at themselves? And are we saying you know, are we saying well, we can't void the league because Liverpool are twenty plus points clear, and it would be horrendously unfair to them on a sporting level if it was cancelled. If it was a more even league, would we be cooler about cancelling it? I think that's a question you have to ask yourself as well. Yeah, definitely. And and I know I mentioned already re- regarding the non-league clubs that over 60 had written letters to the FA to mm. try and not make this season null and void. There have also been plenty of non-league clubs and fans of these non-league clubs that have actually argued that at non-league level, it shouldn't really matter quite as much whether the season is finished or not, as the financial implications aren't quite as great as, you know, mm. for example, a leap from the National League to the Football League is. Um, some fans of non-league clubs are suggesting, from what I've been reading, that the football community could actually come together at this time to raise money for the NHS and families mm. affected by by the pandemic. Or they could actually put their time into helping people that are less fortunate during this crisis, you know, elderly people, pe- people who are feeling really lonely, people who are suffering from addictions, alcoholism, which has um, worsened due to isolation. There are so many things that um, a lot of these clubs are suggesting that they can do now that they don't have to think about finishing the rest of the season. And, you know, the, the strong message is football is second and health is first. And from what I've been reading in, you know, in the meantime, while I guess a decision might be made depending on whether the FA, you know, take into consideration the letters they've received from these non-league clubs about potentially putting their seasons back on. I've read some amazing stories about what some of these non-league clubs have been doing in the meantime. There's some incredible gestures. Players from West Auckland FC who play in Northern Division 1 have donated all of their player bonuses and the players' pool money to a, of around £3,000 to the NHS. The pool money, if in case you didn't know, is um, money that players put into a pot each week and then they dish it out at the end of the season and each player gets a bit of a share. It's a bit of a bonus at the end of the season. But now mm. all of that money from West Auckland FC is going to the NHS. Um, I've also heard a couple of clubs are already putting in plans for next season for their season ticket holders. So Northern League Division 2 club Jarrow have offered half price season tickets for next season to their current season ticket holders. And Northern Alliance side Newcastle Blue Star also confirm that this year's season tickets are going to remain valid for next season as well, free of charge. So if they'd bought season tickets for this season, they'd no longer need to buy one for next year. So that's a way that those couple of clubs have been giving back to their fans. And also there have been a lot of players helping fans out as well. The Gateshead players have sent videos to their fans 
to mentally help them through the pandemic, offering support and offering someone to talk to. So there are plenty of ways that these clubs are kind of getting on with things without the football, if that makes sense, and and kind of putting other people first in this situation. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This episode of the Football Ramble is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life throws many different challenges at us, and as a result, we all have our own sources of stress. Whether big or small, those stresses can impact our lives in unpredictable ways, and if we don't address them, they can have an outsized and unwanted impact. Therapy is a safe place in which we can address these issues, learn to understand them, and find ways to work through them. Having therapy can be beneficial to anybody, not just people who've experienced major traumas, even if you may have not considered it before. It could be simply a time for you to get things off your chest, a way to learn positive coping skills or how to set boundaries. Ultimately, it can be whatever you need it to be. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and BetterHelp will match you to a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash ramble. Jules and Andy here on Football Ramble Daily with me, Andy Brassel, and her, Jules Breach. And of Hi. course, she's always get in touch with us. Hello. Hello. Uh, you, she is back. She is back. I am soon. back. Uh, and um, you can always get in touch with us um, at Jules Breach, at Andy Brassel, and Jules and Andy at Football Ramble Daily. And lots of you have been doing that. Um, although when we solicited for questions uh, yesterday, Jules, we were just overwhelmed by such a torrent of love for you that people forgot to ask questions (laughs) oh everyone's been so lovely honestly it's been so nice to get so many messages but um yeah thank you for all of those and yeah there have been a couple of emails though haven't there Andy asking us the odd question uh yeah there have been and um one of those follows on from what Gary Lewin was saying uh last week um is from Michael Dunn. It says, uh, hi, Jules and Andy. On last week's show, uh, Gary Lewin alluded to clubs having to take the needs of their academies into account with regards to COVID-19. I was just wondering how significantly this pandemic could affect a young player's career. Could this be comparable to a young star picking up an injury during their time in the academy? And the longer this goes on, could this affect the next generation of footballers and their platform competitions like uh, the FA Youth Cup? Loving your work. Stay well, Mike. It's an interesting question, isn't it? I suspect that Gary would be 
better place to answer that than either of us, uh, to be perfectly honest. Um, but it is an unusual situation. I think, as Gary pointed out so eloquently last week, um, we can have an idea about the physical effects, but the mental effects of it, and Kate and I were discussing about how um, whatever anyone's going through at the, the, the moment, a big thing for footballers is that they're used to working outside every day which most of us, I think, listening to this, if we work in shops or offices or recording studios or warehouses or wherever else, is not something that's such a part of our lives, is it? Yeah, and and it's, it's so true because I hadn't even really thought of that until I listened to last week's pod and, and heard you guys discussing it because for me, you know, obviously I like the outdoors and I like going out, but I've not really felt the strain of being indoors for these last couple of weeks. I mean, I know I have been sick for that time as well, so I've not really wanted to do anything or go outside, but it's a, it's been okay for me. You know, I, I'm quite happy being at home and quite happy that I'm able to work from home and still record this podcast and do some radio work. So I'm feeling fairly fortunate in that sense. But actually, you don't really think about the people who are so used to working outside every day, that are used to working in big teams of people, used to having their teammates around them 24 seven and everything almost overnight just changed, didn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It did. Uh, we've got a load of questions on the Twitter as well. Uh, so thank you for sending those in. There's one from Carl and Carpenter, which says, what will be the biggest things that change in football as a business, how clubs are run as a result of the long downtime we were in because of COVID-19? Again, very good question. I think one of the ones we one of the things we're seeing immediately is the fact that clubs are looking to restructure contracts um, in order to protect themselves from future events like this. Because at the moment they're reliant on the goodwill of the the players. Now it's something that I find it hard to to see that a, a lot of many players out there who aren't going to accept some sort of wage cut to save the jobs of other people at the club. Of course, Borussia mentioned Gladbach really led the way with this. We've seen this week that Barcelona's playing squad have accepted um, a pay reduction of over 70%. Juventus aren't receiving any wages. Their players aren't receiving any wages for um, uh, March, April, May and June, which I believe is going to save the club somewhere in the region of 90 million euros. Um, but clubs clearly want to move to protect themselves going forward. Yeah, and I think that the the players that are, are doing that, it's a, it's a great move, isn't it? And and definitely a way that can really help out. And I know that there have been, from a business perspective, quite a few clubs that I already mentioned it with some of those non-league clubs who are right down the bottom of the football pyramid, who are allowing their fans to for their season tickets to be used for next, next year um, at no extra cost. I know Brighton have... Um, allowed their fans to sort of pause their direct debits on their season ticket payments for the time being while everyone's in a kind of unpredictable financial um, time. So that it gives them time to be able to afford it. And I think from a business perspective, having all this time is actually allowing them to kind of restructure things and, and make things a bit more affordable and easier for, for the fans as well. Uh, yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, actually, there's a question that follows on from this um from scott hannon uh, saying how will clubs uh, prepare for this kind of event in future and will clubs buy more players from their own countries if this lasts for a year or more longer this is a really interesting oh, point isn't it? really because point. You, you look at the the players who've gone back to their 
their home countries, for example. Um, you look at, um, at Thiago Silva and Neymar at Paris Saint-Germain, for example. Now, because the pandemic and the spread of COVID-19 is, is unrolling at different paces and on different timescales in different countries, um, I mean, I'm not saying for a moment that they should have been denied the opportunity to go home. They should be home. They should be with their families. That's absolutely right. Yeah. But um, if, say, French football was in a position to restart in, say, June, I don't know, late June, if Brazil is either just short of reaching a peak or reaching the peak of the spread of the virus then, are those players allowed to come back? Yeah, it's one of those things. I think it's just a time thing, isn't it? We'll have to wait and see whether that will happen. But it's a really interesting point to put across because you could very well see that happening, couldn't you, Andy? Um, yeah, and it's something that will be complicated. And um, I think that's one of the things, going back to what we were talking about in the first part, one of the the reasons that some people who've been saying even the Premier League season should be null and voided, I think, well it's not going to be fair going forward because um, there'll be some teams that are losing home games if they're playing behind closed doors. Um, I would argue that that's not really much of an argument because the fact is conditions aren't equal throughout a season. Um, Things change and because of far less um, seismic events than this, because there are injuries uh, there are suspensions. There are sometimes stadium bans and stuff like that in in, in other countries as, as as well. So th- there there are just things that that happen, and you just have to roll with it and, and get on with it in uh, far less challenging situations than than this. But uh, it is an interesting question, and it's it's going to be tough for, for 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 some of those, I guess, who are going to be stripped of, of of players if that is the case when um when it restarts. Um, we've got a really hopeful one from. From uh, Dan Atkinson, ninety-seven, here saying, "Is this Newcastle United's best opportunity of a takeover? Seeing as Ashley's <laughs> other interests have suffered in both demand and share value." Um, <laughs> well, we'll have to see. I don't think anyone involved um, or invested in Newcastle United uh, emotionally would believe any takeover until it actually happens. But uh, we will wait and see. Uh, got one from the great John Bradley here. Was Paul Warhurst better at centre-back or centre-forward? Come on, John, you know he was better at centre-forward. <laughs> um, I was just and- going to say, on, on the Newcastle stuff, listen to uh, Monday's Ramble because Pete gave his thoughts on it yesterday. So <laughs> if you want to hear Pete's thoughts, listen to yesterday's ramble if you haven't done so already. Yeah, do that. Ab- absolutely. There's a really interesting uh, last one I, I want to put forward here from uh, Dave of Logic. And it says, favorite youth team player to come through and play for your first team of all time doesn't have to be this current season. Oh, it's a good question. That, oh isn't my it? God, that's a really good, oh, there's been quite a few good ones at Brighton. Um, you know, I think I think from a Wimbledon perspective, from original Wimbledon, I would pick Glyn Hodges, our current manager, unbelievable left winger, and of course has now come back to to manage the club. And um, I, I really like the look of uh, Jack Rudoni. Actually, our, our, our midfielder has just come through this season. He's, he's looked ready straight away, mm. despite, despite only being eighteen years old. And I think you can overlook, especially in League One and League Two. Being talented is one thing, but being able to mix it in the third tier of English football is something totally different. Yeah, um, definitely. So, so he's he's done a brilliant job. 
I think for me at Brighton, it would have to be Lewis Dunk. I mean, he's he will go down as a club legend regardless of whether he eventually moves on in his Premier League career because for the last couple of seasons, you know, he's been linked with moves away quite a bit. Um, he was linked with Arsenal even as soon as January this year and, and, and last summer there were lots of talks about him potentially going to Leicester when Harry Maguire made his move to Manchester United. So, Lewis Dunk, for me, one of our best centre-backs we've ever had at Brighton and obviously came through our youth career, uh, the youth system at Brighton. And he's, you know, always been with us. He's one of our own. So for me, it would have to be a player like Lewis Dunk, who now captains the club, now Bruno's left and just is an all-time Brighton legend. Please don't leave us, Lewis Dunk. <laughs> you see actually one of my major jobs for uh the lockdown jules has been um trying to educate myself and uh so i can differentiate between uh duffy and dunk <laughs> I, I've, I've always found that very difficult have you well dunk duffy's not been playing this season so that should be the first one <laughs> that should be the simple right, okay. one. he's not been playing that much which is a shame because that partnership they were absolute magic together but obviously Graham Potter's come in and slightly changed formation and changed the system. So I don't think Shane Duffy's quite number one in a centre-back pairing anymore, but that that would be the first thing. But he is still an absolute hero, Shane Duffy, just an absolute legend. And he's a great fantasy asset if he plays every week, by the way. Tip for next season, if he's back in the team or if he goes somewhere else. Yeah, that's the other thing you're meant to be doing, isn't it? Coaching me. Coaching I know I've me, done yeah. no co- I've done no coaching. I've I've had a bit of time off. I apologize, but I'll I'll be back. I'll be ba- I'll be back to train you soon. <laughs> I, I will accept notes. I will absolutely accept uh notes. Uh, I guess that's it for us uh this week. Look, thanks so much for joining us. Uh thanks so much for the support, of course, um in, in the last couple of weeks. Um, especially um everyone who's got involved on on, on Football Ramble Daily, people who've uh, subscribed to Patreon as well, which is has been terrific during during this time and you can you can still do that from from five dollars upwards. And thanks to everyone who's um sent their wishes to Jules. That's meant a lot to us as well. Yeah, it really has. Thank you so much for listening. As always, keep getting in touch with us at Jules Breach, at Andy Brassel on Twitter, at Football Ramble. And of course, you can email us, Jules and Andy at footballrambledaily.com. Andy, have a good week. I hope you feel better. Get that Lucasade down, yeah? And I'll see you next week. (laughs) See you next week, everyone. This was a Stakhanov production.